0: Welcome to Precision Medicine Forum podcast. Chatting with patients, healthcare, industry and research professionals about creating personalized medicines for each and every one of us. Together, we head to the holy grail. Mainstream precision medicine. Here's your host, Steve Caldicott.
1: Hi, and welcome to Precision Medicine Forum Podcast. I'm joined today by Joe Holbrook, the Chief Scientific Officer at Cambridge Epigenetics. How are you doing? Hi,
0: Steve. I'm very good today, thank you. Cambridge
1: Epigenetics, Epigenetics, Epigenomics. Um, can you give us a, a sort of an idiot's guide, if you will, a very brief introduction as to how you would define epigenetics? To the layperson.
0: Um, So epigenetics basically means all the control of DNA, which isn't the four genetic letters, ACGT, but all of the chemical modifications that occur on top of DNA and RNA. Um, so these can be uh, chemical modifications to the DNA and RNA themselves or to the proteins that wrap around them. Um, but what it does is it controls the way that nucleic acid works. So every cell in your body has the same DNA sequence, but they behave differently. You have skin cells and liver cells and heart cells. That's epigenetics. Um, So it it defines cell fate, um, what type of cell you are, but also um, how aged that cell is. From just your epigenome, you can tell someone's age within two years. Um, And it also allows our bodies to respond to the environment. So you will see epigenetic changes that occur because of our, the way we live, our lifestyle, the toxins that we're exposed to. Um, and that's especially important when you're thinking about uh, response to drugs, because you can see response to a drug, to treatment um, in your epigenome. And that has a lot of applications in precision medicine. Um, so that's what epigenome is. It's especially, we know it's a lot about changes to the epigenome in cancer. Um, Because, as I said, the epigenome is about cell fate um, and cancer is changed cell fate. So the epigenome changes a lot in cancer. It also changes a lot when cancer is treated. um, And you can look in the epigenome to see successful or unsuccessful cancer treatment as well.
1: When when we talk about precision medicine, um, there's two things that I think, two words that stand out for many people. One is genomics, Mm -hmm. the poster child. Everything's about genomics, although more and more people are talking about other omics technologies. Um, the other thing is, I would say, cancer, and cancer very much being the poster child of precision medicine. So, from where we are, now, or where we've come from, where we are now, and where we're going, how will epigenomics do you think fit into that sort of landscape? Will it just be? Um, will the utilisation just be within oncology? Is the the first sort of question. And how does it integrate with genomics per se? I'm
0: going to answer those uh, the opposite way around. Uh, It's part of the puzzle. Um, So what we know is that the epigenome interacts with the genome, with genomics, um, and vice versa. You can't really understand biology unless you look at the multiple layers of control of nucleic acids, and that means genetic information, and epigenetic, um, and all those different layers of layers of epigenetic information as well. Um, at Cambridge Epigenetics, we think a lot about DNA methylation, so the chemical changes that occur to DNA sequence themselves, and you can see that they are they interact with genetics. So I said that DNA methylation changes with your environment. That's dependent on your own epi on your own genetics. So you and I might have different genetic codes and we will respond differently to an environment. And so we will have different epigenetics as well because of that. So we're learning, I think projects like the ENCODE project taught us this, that we need to look at multiple layers. So all of that, all those things that genomics didn't explain will be eventually explained by the combination of genetics and epigenetics. Um, And we are at the cusp of sort of understanding all those different layers. And now we need to integrate them together. So genomics isn't going away, but it's going to be hugely enhanced by knowing the epigenetic layers. And then to your second question, we know most about the application in oncology at the moment. Um, That's true, I think, for the precision medicine field in general and probably genetics in general, because cancer is a genetic disease. Actually, you get somatic DNA changes in cancer. Um, That's been the... the pioneer for precision medicine. Um, And similarly, we know more about epigenomic changes in cancer than we do in other diseases. Um, So there will be huge applications there. But I also think that we will see massive applications of epigenomics, particularly in all other disease areas, because, again, disease areas that maybe aren't driven so much by somatic mutation, we will see much bigger effect sizes for the epigenome disease area with a huge amount of medical need is neurodegenerative disorders. And there we see DNA methylation and hydroxymethylation changes, um, which specify neuronal cell fate. And I think that's a, that will be a growing area in the next few years.
1: If I'm understanding you correctly, we can very much monitor lifestyle changes yeah. via epigenetics, epigenetics. Does it therefore hold some promise perhaps in terms of healthcare monitoring and you know people go for MOTs and and full body scans and what have you those that can those that have the luxury to be able to afford it of course could that potentially play a role in that sort of environment?
0: Yes I think so Um, it's there's certainly epigenetic marks that associate with later um, risk of disease I think some of the most uh, famous are the Horvath clock so Steve Horvath um, defined a set of DNA methylation marks that associate with our chronological age so if you look at your blood you can tell your age within two years from your Horvath clock methylation marks and then how accelerated or decelerated your age is compared to your chronological age so if you think of the DNA methylation marks as your biological age um, if you are much older biologically than your chronological age, that's uh, a bad sign for future health. And the Horvath clock has shown um, that uh, your, the, that difference is related to all-cause mortality and morbidity. So certainly it's, it's predictive. Um, I think the big controversy in the field is, is it causative or is it an effect? So, it, if it's just effect, it's still a very good biomarker. Um, but would intervening, would switching um, those epigenetic marks back earlier in time, would that um, be? Would that have a, a phenotypic effect? Mm-hmm. Um, there's some very good work. Um, some of it from Wolfite's group suggesting that there is a functional effect. Um, but that's, um, I think, that's where the field is heading.
1: Where are we now in terms of? how is you how it's used where it's used where the technologies are in terms of you know is it very much is it currently very much a research tool or is it being used within the healthcare setting at all um geographically you know obviously we're in a position where precision medicine initiatives and genomic you know sort of whole you know large-scale genomics programs and initiatives are becoming More prevalent, but perhaps in countries where their you know the healthcare systems are at a certain stage. So where are we with 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 epigenomics?
0: There's multiple applications, um, and it's being layered onto those genome sequencing projects that you talked about. Um, One area that I'm really excited about is liquid biopsy. So being able to read the the cell-free DNA in blood um, as a marker of disease, and there's a lot of very exciting research and clinical work now, um, seeing if we can detect cancer in blood. So if you can diagnose cancer early, just from taking a blood sample, which is obviously a lot less invasive um, than most of our screening technologies now. um, There's multiple uh, well-funded biotechs um, who are progressing quickly to clinic with a detection of early cancer and a detection of recurring cancer from blood. A lot of those rely purely on epigenetic marks to do that. So the epigenome of the cell-free DNA, because again, it's dynamic, it's changed by environment. It also tells you just from that blood sample where the tumour is, because the epigenome, of course, specifies cell type. So you can look at the epigenome of the cell-free DNA in blood and say, do you have cancer? And if so, where is it? Um, that's really exciting. It's it's not there yet. Um, and we need some technological advances as well. Um, that's something that Cambridge Epigenetics works on, being able to measure those important genetic and epigenetic marks in tiny inputs, because you don't get a lot of cell-free DNA from a standard blood draw. Um, but um, that's a very exciting application of epigenetics. And there are many more in fields of either diagnosis or treatment response. If you could take from blood or available tissue, in a, a, a sample, an epigenomic sample that told you is a drug working for you personally, um, before you necessarily have symptomatic or phenotypic effects, you could um, switch patients to drugs that do work for them, or keep them on successful treatment, and that's really important for cancer patients who, you know, shouldn't be exposed to side effects for drugs that aren't working for them, and you know, need a speedy decision making on their treatment uh, plan.
1: So, when you say um, you say about Cambridge Epigenetics and and, and the technologies, so what other what are the other barriers at the moment? Would you say in terms to in terms of a sort of greater adoption
0: apart from technological barriers um so there's there's just the measurement of these marks and then there's the integration of those different omic levels so at the moment we have tools that measure each level um we need to be able to integrate those together either in the lab or um, in silico in computational uh, methods Um, that's technically challenging and then there's kind of regulatory hurdles um epigenomic data is different to The genetic data that has been, as you said, at the forefront of precision medicine, it's qualitative. It's a sliding scale rather than a sort of binary, the variant is there or not, for genetics. Um, So that means that we need different frameworks um, for regulators, Um, things like early screening um, for cancer. That is a huge um, new decision to make in terms of, the cost of early screening. Um, it could save health systems a huge amount of money, but you also need to be very, very specific because you can't um, tell people they might have cancer <laughs> um, and it turns out they don't, right? So you have to, You there is a lot to be worked out in what is effective clinical pathways in different tumour types. Some tumour types, there's a quick and non invasive secondary screen to check, and some there isn't. Um, so there's a lot of work, I think, on the regulatory and clinical pathway for these type of um, new capabilities.
1: It's interesting what you say there about screening. We, I, I, I had a chat or had a podcast a little while ago with Dr. Laura Esselman. she's out of UCSF, working on the Wisdom Project, which is really looking at more precise screening particularly, specifically in in, uh, breast cancer. So for example, the suggestion that, why would you be screening a perfectly healthy, no familial history of breast cancer, 40 year old woman? And at the same intervals as someone who does have family history, which seems kind of ludicrous, a waste of money, not nice for everybody. and that kind of fits into just what you're saying, I guess, if we can get to that stage where the the, the screening is more precise.
0: And less invasive. I think there's a difference between a blood test and a mammogram. Um, and so you might put up with different levels of sensitivity and specificity um, for different levels of invasiveness. You know, similar for a colonoscopy or a prostate exam or, you know, I think very dependent on what the screening is, um, there's in terms of both how invasive it and unpleasant it is for the patient and also how um, expensive it is for the healthcare system. Different sensitivities and specificities are required. Um, And blood tests you need are non-invasive, but there's still for different cancer types, I think there will be different goals for the accuracy of the test. Um, And again, I don't think we're quite there with accuracy yet, um, and we need the Kind of technological advances that Cambridge Epigenetics is working on to get there.
1: I like to get everyone's view on this because I think it's important. Although some the, the answers are <laughs> wildly varied, when you talk about how how we can be we can make it more cost effective, we can make it cheaper, and so on and so forth. I think the holy grail is the, the, is to find the person who can explain to governments and healthcare systems that precision medicine and all that surrounds it is better, more effective, better outcomes and cheaper. How do we encapsulate that and and present that to um, healthcare systems, to insurers, to governments, to say actually this works and is better and is cheaper?
0: Do you feel that that's messages not accepted at governmental level
1: i think what i see is and and, and consider the facts, as i've said to you i'm neither a scientist nor a healthcare practitioner but i do talk to a lot of them there's these different approaches with precision medicine whether it's a top-down approach or the bottom up so for example sweden where they have pushed it from research up through into the healthcare system and then you know and then it's coming to government level One could argue that, for example, the NHS and Genomics England is a bottom-down approach. You know, where David Cameron announced the 100,000 Genomes Project back in 2012, whenever it was. Uh, So who pushes it? You know, who should push it? Should it be researchers in healthcare? Should it be government? You know, with the different healthcare systems, obviously there's a massive challenge. You know, if you look at the those examples for example like the US where people have got insurance or haven't got insurance and one might argue for example that precision medicine makes it even less equal but I've spoken to health economics uh, sorry health economists who seem to have the answers but there's no definitive this is it we waste a lot of drugs on people we you know we, we, we we make people go through uh, therapies that perhaps have ill effect and yet the technologies are there now we can crunch the data
0: i feel your frustration because it's um, kind of frustrating yeah um i felt that frustration most of my career <laughs> i started in drug discovery and development um and i worked on targeted therapies in oncology where we knew preclinically um the tumors these drugs would work on dr- tumors they wouldn't and at the time this is 10, 15 years ago. It was a struggle um, to get that even into the clinical trials, never mind um, into clinical practice. It has moved on since then. Um, I'm not sure it's a a case of all these different bodies accepting precision medicine as a concept. I think it's individual um, empirical cases. Um, And again, scientists driven by data. Pharma companies are very brought into precision medicine now because their drugs will fail clinical trials if they don't pick out responders. Um, and so they are motivated to make companion diagnostics and go to regulators with uh, companion diagnostic alongside their drug because they'll get better efficacy data. Um, similarly, um, health ins- the payers um, also don't want to pay for drugs that aren't working for the majority of people. Um, and so they there is um acceptance for specific drugs to segregate the population the patient population into those that are going to respond. Um, so I think there is there is a coming acceptance, but it's it's drug by drug. Um, and where the lag factor is, I think, is that a lot of our processes need to change, the regulatory processes and also the clinical practices, the ability for us to measure um, these biomarkers in clinic. Um, often it's different techniques than we used in discovery. Um, we need to have very effective, very cheap, um, diagnostics, um, that it, that infrastructure is also being built. Um, but I think it has lagged behind, you know, what we know in the lab, um, to what we can do in clinic. And that takes time to come through. Um, a lot of these biomarker panels are complex and they take machine learning, um, to make a prediction. The regulatory path for a machine-learned algorithm is still being worked out as well. Um, so I think I can see it coming and I can see it coming piecemeal um, in, in particular empirical examples. I don't think you know one of the major health insurers is going to turn around and say, we now want everything to be precision medicine. I think they're going to approve and pay for specific drugs which come with a companion diagnostic, or they're gonna start uh, screening tests for at-risk populations um, because they can see the hard-headed commercial benefit um, for preemptive treatment. And I think we have to make those cases on the data. And the data's there, it's coming through.
1: That's one of the that's one of the best answers I've ever had to that question. Classic. <laughs> well you should be a health economist. Can you go and explain to some governments that that's how we should do it?
0: I really like the science.
1: Brilliant. <laughs> Let's talk about Cambridge epigenetics specifically. I, you know, I don't like people giving big sales pitches on our podcast, but we need to know, you know, who you are, what you're doing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now. When, when I look at Cambridge Epigenetics, I see a, a company that was founded, I think, in 2012. Um, and all of a sudden, re- relatively recently, um, you, you get huge funding. And it kind of begs the question, and, think, and and don't answer this if you can't or don't want to. It begs the question, what's been happening for the first nine years?
0: Okay, um, I, can, I can answer that question.
1: Why suddenly?
0: So Cambridge of Genetics, as you say, was founded 10 years ago. Um, The co-founders of Shankar Balasumaraniam and Bobby Rao. Um, uh, So huge pedigree um, in uh, sequencing. I mean, Shankar and his... uh, and his collaborators invented sequencing by synthesis and ngs um, bobby's an information person now chief strategy officer of microsoft and they founded cambridge epigenetics to build tools and technologies to measure the epigenome and the mark they partic- they focused on at the beginning was 5-hydroxymethylcytosine okay so there's a huge amount of expertise there they've been producing products um, in that space but at that time epigenetics was a relatively niche interest. Um, All of the stuff we've been talking about just now about the huge promise of epigenomics in precision medicine, that's been emerging over the last 10 years. Um, During that time, Cambridge Epigenetics has been building um, this expertise in the molecular biology and the enzymology um, and knowledge around these epigenetic marks. Um, They've shown that some of them are very powerful to detect cancer in early um, early cancer in blood samples, for instance, there's published work by Cambridge Epigenetics. Um, and as the emergence of the new uh, applications of epigenomics, and again, I would say liquid biopsy is a very buzzy one at the moment, and um, liquid biopsy is gonna work. We're gonna be able to detect disease in blood samples. Um, huge amount of research dollars going into it at the moment. right? Um, Cambridge Genetics. we realized we were sitting on the technology That's going to enable all of this because um, we have a platform that allows you to measure multiple omic layers, so genetics and epigenetics together, and you can do it on existing platforms. You can do it using the sequences you already have, um, the computational setups you already have. Um, And that's how we raised the money, um, because investors saw the huge potential um, to empower all of those applications of precision medicine. That are now becoming prime time, with the technology that's matching um, the needs of those applications. Uh, So (laughs) we were busy (laughs) for the full ten years um, (laughs) about our stuff. um, We built a war chest, which is now um, exactly what the precision medicine world needs, and that's how the investors were convinced.
1: Exciting times for sure.
0: It is. We're about to commercially launch our first uh, product from this new platform, and that's exciting. That was my
1: next question. So where so where are you at? When when where are you at? When when are you going to be there? I mean, obviously, everything's ongoing. But when do you go to when do you go to the world and say this is it? We've got the first technology available.
0: Early next year. So, we have a technology we call five letter sequencing that measures ACGT, methylcytosine, and hydroxymethylcytosine in the same workflow, a same sample, um, gives you a huge um, information content benefit from your DNA. Um, That's with uh, very august researchers, very um, exciting labs across the world at the moment in early access um, and it will be commercially launched at the beginning of next year uh, and then we have other products we for instance six letter sequencing seven letter sequencing coming down the pipe and will be um, launched pretty soon afterwards
1: okay so that's next year where where are we going to be in 10 years
0: as a field um precision medicine will have come of age absolutely um, we will be everything will be multi we will not talk about single modality measures. Um, we will be looking at multiple epigenomic levels. Um, at combined with genetics, we'll be looking at the interaction of those, probably at single cell level and probably across um, both space and time. And we'll be able to use that to predict disease before symptoms occur, and treat and monitor the response to that treatment in real time in available fluids, hopefully blood, saliva, urine, things that um, are non invasive to the patient. Um, that's what I've been working t- towards my whole career. I think most precision medicine will have. Um, and you know, the data is gathering that we can do this. I think the tools are the molecular biology tools, um, the increase the decrease in the cost of sequencing and the analytics the analytics are super important Um, with the advent of really applied machine learning the ability to integrate all these omic layers um, and learn um, what predicts patient trajectories has come on incredibly in the last few years um, and i think is going to transform um, how we do healthcare
1: well, that's a pretty good way to end, I think.
0: Thank you for the invite. I really enjoyed talking to you. I'm really looking forward to the conference in Brussels in a couple of weeks. It's an incredible programme. Um, and it's an exciting time to be talking about these things because, as we were talking about, it's becoming
1: prime time. Cambridge Epigenetics, uh, are our platinum sponsor of our Epigenetics and Epigenomics in Healthcare and Disease Conference in Brussels, uh, 17th and 19th of November. Uh, you'll see at the end of this there is a link to, to register or to view the agenda and what have you. Joe, you're going to be giving a, a talk at the event. I am. Um, And obviously, Joe and, and, and some some of the other guys from the team at uh, Cambridge Epigenetics will be on hand to answer any questions, any ideas about collaborations and partnerships and what have you um, in Brussels. But obviously, aside from that, you know, if you, if, you, if you can't make it to Brussels, check out the website. We'll put that in the link as well. Um, and Joe, is, but I feel enlightened.
0: <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> I, I can go on about this stuff forever, so i I've enjoyed talking about it. And thank you for the plug. We are really open to collaboration. Um, we're in early access with our products. We're also hiring. Um, so please do check out our website for open positions going fast
1: listen it's lovely to meet you and um, i'll see you actually in person in brussels
0: Nick great we can see each other in 3d again yes see you then that was precision medicine forum podcast visit precisionmedicineforum.com to get all the show resources and find out about our upcoming episodes and events and please subscribe or follow on your podcast app so you never
1: miss an episode